Hello and welcome to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. Today I want to talk to you about why I don't believe in traditional marriage counseling or it's not to say I don't believe in it but I don't believe in how it's being used. I think people go into it for the wrong reasons. Um, I think they go in too late and very rarely are both people on board with what's happening and so it doesn't work. So what should one do instead? You know, what's better? How to avoid divorce? Isn't marriage counseling the answer? You know, maybe you're in a situation where, you know, you really want to reconcile. You want to try to find that bridge back to each other. And I understand that. Um, And I want to talk to you about that today. So let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. I am so grateful to be allowed into your headset and your day today. My name is Elizabeth, and I am the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you are going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you're so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, and coaching. And that's when we aren't talking to experts. I am also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and a stepmom to three, so we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back. So generally speaking, uh, because the work that I do, which, you know, my company is the separation club. So I'm here to help women as they are going through separation and divorce. Many of the women who come into my group and our clients and members are still contemplating the decision. They might not have made the final decision. But generally speaking, whether they're debating the decision or the decision has been made by them or the other partner and they're already separated, marriage counseling has usually been tried or at least suggested perhaps refused by one of them, and it hasn't worked. It has failed. And fundamentally, I believe the reason for this is that people try marriage counseling too late. They go into it for the wrong reasons, and you know they're not both on the same page. They both want different things from it, and usually one of them doesn't want to be there anymore. So that's where the disparity happens. I believe that marriage counseling is much better for a marriage when there actually aren't any big problems. But I'm going to talk more about this today. I'm really looking forward to get into this, getting into this conversation with you. And, you know, it is a very common question I get when they first come into my world, especially if they're still in the contemplation phase, meaning they're thinking about divorcing. They might not have had the conversation with their partner yet. And they're thinking, like, have I done everything? Have I tried everything? Do I believe in marriage counseling? They'll ask me that. Now, they might have tried it already um, and it didn't work. Often I hear stories like, you know, we tried marriage counseling a few years ago and after two sessions, you know, my husband refused to go anymore. And I know, by the way, that I'm being general here, but I think there's an overwhelming percentage that makes what I'm saying correct, that women are much more willing to go to counseling than men. Men are usually dragged there. And if they do agree to go, it's usually as a result of an ultimatum of some sort, like this marriage is going to end if you don't come. So they go in reluctantly, um, not really believing in it, not wanting to do it, and not thinking it's necessary, or at least that's what they tell themselves, so they don't have to do the work. And so everybody's in there for different reasons. And 
at the outset, that is a recipe for disaster and it, and it certainly isn't a recipe for success. Let's put it that way. So generally speaking, they come to me and they're like, do you think I should keep trying? Should I see if I can get him to go to marriage counseling again? Um, I will say I have clients who are divorcing women, so women divorcing women. And there's usually been a lot of therapy and counseling in those cases. So that's those circumstances are often a little bit different in that both parties are willing to go. But again, their motivation for going into it, usually when you have two people wanting to go into counseling, there's one person who's suggesting it. There's one person who's either agreeing or disagreeing to come along. And so the motivation is different. So I'm going to, I want to get into sort of the reasons I don't believe in it first. And I'm going to be talking a bit about the ego today as well, because I think it's such a huge factor. But fundamentally, if we're kind of going to do a little bit of a, almost like a timeline of a relationship as it's falling apart, um, it's generally when we get to that point, when you know, someone is finally agreeing to counseling or counseling has become the last ditch effort. That is usually not the first time somebody's asked someone to go to counseling. That might've happened for years. I actually um, interviewed someone for my podcast who you will be hearing from very soon, that episode, uh, who said that she had asked for marriage counseling for her birthday for like five years leading up to their divorce. And I found it so interesting I've never heard of anyone asking for that for, for their birthday before, but that certainly tells you how important this was to her. That's all she wanted. And he thought she was joking, or at least that's what he told himself, and she never got it. They never did it. He absolutely refused to go. And unfortunately, not maybe the birthday gifts part of it, but it's a very familiar story. And I don't know why... I don't really know why men hate counseling so much. Um, I'm going to go by what I read and hear from the women, not to mention what I experienced myself when we went to marriage counseling just before we separated. Generally speaking, men, and this partly due to their upbringing, this is not because they're bad people. Okay, I'm not, this is not about bashing men or criticizing men. It's just about explaining and understanding the dynamic that's happening as you go into marriage counseling or as you ask for it. Men, generally speaking, men are not used to speaking about their emotions. They're very uncomfortable with it. They don't really know how to do it, meaning they, it's not that they're stupid or anything. Of course not. They don't have access to the emotions and this scares them to go there. It really feels very fearful to sit down and start sharing their emotions. I've also heard from some men when I've spoken to them about this, because I, I like to ask the other side because I always believe that there's two perspectives and there's two experiences in everything. And we have to look at the other experience as well. And I've heard from several men that one of the reasons they don't think it works or why they maybe walk out after two sessions and say, I'm, I won't go anymore, is because they feel like they're being made to be the bad guy. Or they feel like as soon as they open up and share their feelings, which potentially is some discontent with their partner, like maybe they don't feel seen and heard in the marriage. Maybe they don't feel appreciated for the things that they do. They only feel criticized. And that is often countered with that the other person, meaning the, the wife or the woman, gets so upset 
because, you know, why haven't you told me this before? And I can't believe you said that. And that's really hurtful for me. Or, but I did this and this and this. And then that's what you did. So right away, she brings up her hurt and her pain again, because she's very in touch with her emotions. And she's quick to bring that up. And so what they're telling me, what these men are telling me is that they find anytime they share anything real about themselves that's been hurting or that they've been um, finding difficult, they are immediately then faced with that they have to comfort their their spouse to because of what they said. Now what they have said has become the problem as well. And so to them, it's just easier to agree or to say nothing. And I think that's really sad. And I think we're doing a disservice to them. You know, let's look a little bit at like, why is this so different? Why is it that women are so in touch with their emotions and can talk about it so easily? Well, you know what? It's because of exactly what I said. We're constantly in touch with our emotions and we talk about it so easily. For as far back as I can remember, and I'm sure it's the same for you, if you are a woman listening to this, you can remember talking to your friends, your mom, whoever, about your feelings. You know, sitting down with a girlfriend and talking about a boy in class or some other girl in school who hurt you. And you talk about your feelings. You go home and you tell your mom your feelings and you cry and you... You listen to advice and we, you know, what's the first thing we do when we go through a breakup in high school? We we go to our friends and they're not going to believe what happened and I'm so upset and hurt and they rally around you and they they lift you up and they give you advice and, you know, all of those things that happen. We're, we're, we are used to accessing our emotions, to feeling our emotions, to analyzing them and talking about them. This is This is actually relatively easy for us. For them... Now, just go back into school. You don't think these little boys have the same experience? You don't think they get hurt by a girl or some other guy who doesn't pick them for their team or somebody makes fun of them, they get really upset? What do they do? They get told to not cry like a girl. Oh, are you getting all into your feelings? Oh, look, he's so sensitive. You know, all these really, you know, kind of crushing and hurtful things are said. Like, And usually the intent isn't to hurt, but it's just... For some reason, we don't allow for little boys, or we didn't allow for little boys to to share emotions. They were very quickly ridiculed and told not to be somebody who voices their feelings and shows their emotions. So they shoved it away, and they shoved it away, and they kept doing that through their childhood, uh, adolescence, and then as they go into relationships, they they now know they're adults and they know that they can't show emotions. That's weak. That's not good. That's not going to be received well. So they hide them. And then guess what? We have this couple where one is not expressing their emotions and the other one is getting upset expressing their emotions because they're not getting anything back. There's no communication. There's, you know, I never know where he's at. He doesn't say anything. He never complains. He doesn't do anything. You know, he's just there. Well, hello. It's the upbringing. So I think that's... We have to look at where it comes from. Why aren't they sharing? How can we change that? Well, we have to get really good at creating a safe environment for them to do that. We have to allow them to voice their discontent, even if they're saying things that we don't like to hear. We might be hearing that we did something wrong, that we didn't support or listen well enough. We have to allow that conversation to happen and for them to feel that it's okay to say those things, that they're not going to be then found at fault for that later on. We have to create safe spaces for them, just like we have to do for ourselves and like we need them to do for us. 
And to be very honest with you, I think they are better at creating a safe space for us than we are for them. Because we know how to ask for that. And early in the relationship, you probably did. And when you're madly in love, you know, they say whatever. They listen, they comfort. And then as time goes on, it maybe stops, right? And so we get unhappy about that. And then things go so bad, eventually I'm doing a huge leap forward here, that the marriage is in trouble. And now you have two people who are hurting. You know, his absence of emotions and expressing emotions and expressing pain and showing them does not mean that there's an absence of emotions. So I think, you know, so often I also hear this, probably one of the most common complaints I hear when separation first happened it's like he doesn't care at all. It's like he doesn't, like he never loved me. I've just been discarded. It's how he knows, it's the only way he knows to deal with his emotions is to shove them away and then just get on with life. And that's what they do. They shove the emotions away. They put away the hurt. They compartmentalize it and they leave it behind. Is it easy for them? I don't know that it is. I think it causes some really tough times for them and potentially health issues as well as they shove things away. I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of men who deal with a lot of health issues that women don't and vice versa, of course. But I think a lot of what we can see in sort of typical of men, it can probably be related to that. There's this constant sort of shoving away, shoving away. But that tension, that sorrow, that grief, that those emotions, those negative emotions build up. They build up and they create stress in the body and they create illness in the body. So it shows up in other ways. But what I really want to you know, share with you today is kind of like, you know, why does marriage counseling not work? And in the hopes that by hearing this, maybe you can change your experience with marriage counseling. Maybe you can find a bridge back to each other um, simply by opening your mind to it, um, changing your perspective when you go into it. I'm all about that. I'm all about, let's look at this different. If it isn't working this way, then we need to look at it differently. You know, it's a whole, like, if you keep banging your head against a brick wall, you know? Um, so let's change things up. Let's think about things differently. Let's go down an uncomfortable path today. And if you are listening to this and you're someone who really wants to try to save your marriage and you're at the end of it and it's, you know, you pulling teeth, maybe, hopefully, there's something here for you today that can help you bridge that gap and help your other person feel safe coming into counseling with you. Uh, and I also think, or I'm hoping that for those of you who might be listening to this who are in a newer relationship or in a happier one, that marriage counseling is something you do while you're still happy. I That's what I believe. So you never get to that point where it's a desperate last measure. I think at that point, in my opinion, generally speaking, it's far too late. So let's talk about the reasons specifically that I don't believe in marriage counseling or why I don't think it works rather. Okay. So it's not that I don't believe in it. I want to be very clear about that. I believe in counseling in general. I believe in therapy and coaching and counseling and something as important as your marriage deserves that kind of attention throughout the marriage. But generally speaking, at the end, as a last ditch effort, I don't believe it works. And here are the reasons why. These reasons are being listed. So just know that they're not in any particular order of importance or sequential, if you will. So I'm just naming them off as they came to me. Number one, 
Generally speaking, the motivation of each party for going, as I've mentioned, is usually vastly different. One person might be there because they're hoping to change the mind of the other person, to, to save the marriage, to, um, to make things work. The other person might be there to help ease the person into the separation. They might be there because they feel forced to, that they have to, in order for the marriage to not end. Um, but they're not there to do the work, for example. So the motivation basically, you know, whether it's yours or theirs, generally speaking, you're coming into this for different reasons. Which brings me to the next point, which is that marriage counseling at this stage of the game, often, even earlier actually, it often just becomes a supervised place to argue and to argue that you're right. Whether it's you or the other person, you end up having this supervised fight. And I hear this from so many, and you might've experienced it already. And what very often happens is that one of you will walk away feeling that you're being ganged up on by the other person and the therapist, that the therapist or counselor is somehow taking sides. And again, already this this sort of um, environment, if you will, or atmosphere of mistrust is happening where someone doesn't feel safe because they feel ganged up on, and it just doesn't work. Number three, by the time someone convinces their partner to go, often too much has already transpired. So there might have been years of begging for counseling, years of fighting about the same things, years of hurting each other in different ways. And by the time you actually go, because one of you has dropped a hammer on separation and the other person's finally, okay, fine, I'll go, I'll go, I'll do anything to save their marriage. But too much pain, too much has passed. And if you're in a situation where you're the one making the decision, you are, you just can't work on it anymore, you're done. And now your partner is the one who's saying, okay, I want to go to counseling. I want to make this work. I don't want this divorce. You might be sitting in the situation or in a, in a circumstance where you're thinking, I don't even want to go anymore. I, I'm done here. I asked for counseling for years. I'm done now. I don't, I'm not interested in this anymore. And that can be really hard. And maybe you feel that you have to agree to go because now finally they're doing what you asked them to do for all these years. But now they're there to save it and you're there not wanting to anymore. Do you see how that happens? So, I mean, you're gonna see there's a theme here for sure, but I'm just trying to create, or rather to, to name these different scenarios that tend to be the reality of late in the game, like last ditch effort marriage counseling. Number four is forcing someone to go. So it doesn't work because the one person's there reluctantly. They're there because they feel they have to go. Whether that is you for the, the reasons I just mentioned or whether it is your partner because you're making them come. When somebody's being forced to do something, they're going into it, not believing in it, not wanting to go, not ready to be open, not trusting the process, whatever their reason, even whether it's rational or irrational, this being forced into something negates the effectiveness of the experience. Plain and simple. It's not going to work if you're making someone go. They're not suddenly going to have this epiphany in counseling because you and the therapist, for example, are sitting there explaining that they need to work on it. They're going to feel ganged up on, like I mentioned earlier. Number five is thinking that marriage counseling is going to fix everything. You know, you go there once a week 
and you go there for an hour and you sit and talk and unload and whatever happens and you get some uh, guidance perhaps or some thoughts or ideas from the therapist of homework, things to do at home, that's often what happens, um, you know, set times to have conversations, etc. The problem is that the work has to be done at home and it often isn't. You know, one of the people, one of you might be walking away from the session not feeling good about it. The last thing you want to do is continue to do this at home. And when you think about it, and I hit this actually, I, I apply my past as a personal trainer because we used to talk about how to change your life and feel healthier and stronger. And but I work out with you, Elizabeth, you know, once or twice a week. Well, it's not enough. Same philosophy. There are 168 hours in a week. And if you are with a therapist for one hour, there's still 167 hours left in that week for you to either disconnect completely from any progress made in that hour or to get into a fight about old stuff where you're not being guided. The problem is that is what you do during your time at home. It's, it's that validation of the process when, when both of you are addressing the issues, you are making the effort in every interaction, in all conversations. In fact, not waiting for someone to ask you to continue to work on it, but actually actively showing that you heard them in the session, that you are, are interested in working on this, that you're making an effort that needs to come from both of you. And because of this last ditch effort and because of the approach or the, the attitudes, I guess, or this mindset of both of you going into it is usually so different. This isn't happening. Fundamentally, the problem is that marriage counseling at this stage is seen as a Hail Mary. And I don't consider it to be one. It just, generally speaking, doesn't work. So how do you make marriage counseling work for your marriage? Or how do you save your marriage when it's come basically, you know, the end of it is knocking on the door where you feel like there is just nothing left to do, but you have to do something to save it. Well, that's a whole other conversation. You know, I think around what is it that you're trying to save? Why are you trying to save something where the other person is completely checked out? What is it that you really hope to gain? What are, you know, there are so many questions I could ask around that. But I'm here to talk about marriage counseling today and how I believe it can work and not work for a relationship. In my opinion, marriage counseling is to be done or should be done or is ideally done during the marriage, not to save it, but to maintain it. It's like, yeah, literally a maintenance protocol. It's a check-in. Maybe you agree to go once a year. You know, you go and have two or three sessions either to address a pattern of arguing that's come up or um, something that you don't quite know how to articulate that doesn't feel right or simply to evolve and grow together and to continue to work on the marriage or the relationship. You know, do it regularly before there are really huge problems like I want a divorce or an affair. Do it when something smaller keeps coming up that you're not able to resolve on your own, those pesky little regular fights that you're starting to have. Do it to learn how to show up better for each other. Maybe you're noticing that your partner is struggling. You know, your spouse is having a difficult time with things. Maybe something's happened at their work or something with a family member. And somehow you're not able to talk to each other about it or you don't seem to be able to help. Or when you bring it up or try to help, um, you're being pushed away. Maybe this is a safe place for, 
for your partner to, to voice their issues, to talk to you about it, and also to express how you can help or even if you can help, right? It's for personal growth as a couple. It's to address a journey forward. It's to address and maintain. It's to oil the squeaky wheel. I don't know, grease the squeaky wheel. I guess the expression is, that's how I'd like you to think of marriage counseling, not as something you're forcing someone else to do. I will say that no matter what happens in marriage counseling, going through something like that, there is the opportunity to learn what matters to you, to learn whether or not the marriage is viable, and you will learn more about your spouse, probably, even if all you learn is that they're not willing to work on it. So there's definitely outcomes. They're generally not what you want them to be, do, want them to be when you're doing it at the end of a marriage, but you will walk away with some answers for sure. Now here's the thing, and this is what I want to get into a little bit with you today, uh, and that's, I want to talk a little bit about the ego, because the reason it doesn't work, the reason, all those reasons that I listed earlier, fundamentally those are the problem because we go into marriage counseling with our ego. We're already in fight and flight mode, not in love or heart mode anymore. We can't find our way back to ourselves when we start there. Real vulnerability is needed when we want to find our way back to each other, back to love. We have to be willing to be incredibly honest, not just with each other, but also with ourselves, to say things in, that's in our heart and not just the things that make us sound good or right or mostly self-righteous, to be honest. Most of us, when we've gotten to that point, we're no longer feeling safe to do those things. And so our ego steps in because we are in save mode. We're in fight or flight. We are in the last ditch effort, the last, you know, we've got to try what's going to happen. We're in fear because we don't know what's going to happen if we divorce. It's, it's scary and overwhelming and stressful. So we live in our ego. So what does it even mean to live in your ego in a relationship? Well, your ego is attached to your, self, your sense of self-importance or your self-esteem, which is kind of, you know, how you think other people see you. And this is something that's important to us in many ways, or at least we believe it to be important. We, we tend to place a tremendous amount of importance on what people might think. And as we go through something like potentially rather separation and divorce, we find ourselves wondering how will people react? What will they think of me? I have to be justified. I have to be right. This has to be the obvious answer so people feel sorry for me and they can see that the other person has wronged me so I'm not a bad person for wanting this divorce, for example. Now, you might not think about it like that, but that's essentially what's happening. And this is why when we go into these marriage counseling at the, you know, the end of the road or when things are really, really bad and we go in with that mentality, it is not a mindset that is conducive to reparation or to reconciliation or finding your way back to each other. It just isn't because this is what I meant earlier about being incredibly honest with yourself is why are you going? Is it to, to show them and to have someone help you prove that they have wronged you and that they're upsetting you and that they need to change so that you can be happy? 
and I'm not trying to say that you're the problem or that you know something's wrong with you or that you're ego driven what I'm saying is that when we get to a point where we are so emotionally unhappy and unsatisfied that we want to leave a marriage that it's okay to leave and then when we say we want to do counseling or we get forced into counseling or whatever we end up going in with either this isn't going to work or the only way this is going to work is if this other person makes these changes so that I can be happy. We we get into our ego when we feel we've been wronged, when we feel that we are unsafe and a primary relationship like a marriage when it's on the you know the brink of divorce or it's going through divorce, we no longer feel safe in that relationship. So we live in our ego to protect. That's the ego's job is to protect us is as soon as we go into stressful situations fight or flight the ego's there to protect and bring you back to safety right away back in the stone age when we lived in caves and the greatest danger was a you know i don't know a dinosaur or uh, some kind of a, a beast of an animal we were truly fighting for our lives that's where the ego came in it it would see danger, sense danger, and then help guide you towards safety. It would, it would propel you into action so that you would go and take care of yourself and be safe and hide or do whatever you needed to do. Relationships are just a little bit more complicated. And all the ego's picking up on is that you know release of those hormones and that feeling of stress in your body. So how do you know if you're living in your ego? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you most of us do most of the time. You know, it's our ego that tells us we have to do better in our careers, that tells us we have to go to school and get this education so we can make more money. It's our ego that fights hard in the relationship for, you know, wanting to be right or when you fight about money or you fight about time or you fight about a number of things, it's our ego that gets into play. If we're coming from a place of pure love, of unconditional love and, and compassion for each other and for ourselves, there would be no fighting. It would just be an expression of needs and a willingness by the other person to fulfill those needs. And there was probably a time when the two of you were like that, but you're not there anymore. So your ego is important, but it is not helpful when we're trying to save a marriage or even to maintain at times. When kept within sane limits, a healthy ego is necessary for a relationship to work because we do need to have a healthy sense of self-esteem to be in a healthy relationship. In other words, we have to believe we're worthy and we have to believe that we add value and all those things. But there are some signs that the ego is playing a bigger part in your relationship than you might think it is or that you want it to be or that you might not even have thought about it as the ego, by the way, which I certainly didn't at the time. And I actually have been so fascinated by learning about this as I do my coaching and work with people. And this keeps coming up because understanding how the ego shows up and how and when we, we are being driven by that really helps you dial it back and make choices from a different place if you want to. So here are some things that might help you um, learn or discover if the ego is playing a part in your relationship or rather how it's playing a part, because I'm sure it is. So for example, 
when you feel the need or a desire to be right and to be seen and acknowledged that way, instead of trying to allow space for that they might also be right, you might be finding yourself insisting that they have to tell you that you're right. So agreeing to disagree is a good thing. It's sometimes we just cannot reach a resolution or an agreement fully. But we can find a place where we can understand that the other person feels differently and that that's just the way it is and that's okay and, you know, I still love you kind of thing. That's not ego-driven. Ego shows up as this is my stand, this is how I feel, and I need you to acknowledge that I am right in this feeling. That's ego. Another one is playing a victim. This is a bruised ego resulting from that you feel like you are not good enough. This can, of course, arise because your spouse has been maybe unkind or overly critical and is exhibiting some part of their toxic ego side. But if you start feeling less than, you know, and start with a negative sort of inner narrative about yourself because of things that they say or fights that you're having, then you know you're heading down this path. So this is the bruised ego. This is the wounded inner ego. Another sign that you are coming from your ego or thinking from your ego place is unfounded jealousy. This happens a lot towards the end. You know, we really, or, or when things are not good because we wonder about affairs and we wonder, you know, when did they stop loving us? Do they even love us? Have they ever loved us? So we start questioning things. And so we... We get maybe jealous of time they spend with other people in places where we didn't get jealous before. You might find yourself trying to prove that your spouse is doing something wrong and to prove that you were right all along, you know, that they're doing something wrong to hurt you and you're right. Do you see the pattern here? Like this prevailing, I need to be right pattern. It's almost like, like it can almost get to the point where you're kind of hoping you'll find something wrong or find that they're doing something so that you can say, look what you're doing, you're wrong and I'm right. You know, it's, I know I'm making it sound like this horrible person, but it's not. It's the person, it's that piece of you inside of you that is trying desperately to hang on to something and to make it right again. So that brings us to another place, which I know we've all talked about or heard about rather, you know, pride. Pride is like the worst thing in a relationship. It just doesn't work, as is arrogance. And both of those exist within our ego and not the particularly healthy part of it. It's, you know, when we operate from a place of pride or arrogance, it's like we feel like, and this could be happening by your partner, by the way, it's feeling like you're better than them or you're living with someone who thinks this way. So either it's you thinking, I'm superior, pride, arrogance, or you are being subjected to this constant barrage of, oh my God, I can't believe you're so stupid, or I, you know, you just don't get it, or, um, you know, I just can't agree to that, or I can't go along with that, my pride won't let me. Like, that is a ridiculous statement. So if you are making that, or if someone in your life is making that to you, that is the end of that conversation, and you can come back and talk to each other when you're willing to be more open and vulnerable, right? So you can obviously see how that kind of behavior is not good for a relationship at all. Another way that ego shows up is that you find it difficult to apologize and say you're sorry. Now you'll notice that I'm kind of talking about your behavior here. That's that's the way that I'm framing it because I'm talking to you, 
And I want you to know that whatever your decision is with regards to your marriage or the future of it or how you approach your healing, because it is already over, I'm, I'm asking you these questions or I'm telling you these things so that you can reflect on it and ask yourself, how did I show up in this relationship? And how could I do better in the future? What can I learn from it? The thing is, if you find that you, you know, you're realizing as I'm talking about these, like, oh my God, I was like that. It's a my fault that the marriage ended. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there was a reason you didn't feel safe. There was a reason that you felt that you needed to protect. And so you went into these behaviors to do that. That's what the ego does. Remember what I said earlier, it is trying to protect you. So let me continue. You might have found it or do find it difficult to apologize or say you're sorry, even when you kind of know you're wrong or that you hurt them. And in fact, you might even find yourself blaming them like one of those, well, I know I hurt you, but blah, 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 right? Again, ego, you're protecting, you're protecting. It's like, you hurt me and I'm going to hurt you back. Kind of, right? And not that you're thinking like that. You're not being vindictive. You're not deliberately thinking that. But it's, it's again, it's protection. And so your ego just reacts and it's leading the way. Now, another way that you might know that the ego is kind of showing up is if you find yourself always feeling kind of resentful because your partner isn't meeting your needs or the things that you believe are important, like they're not perfect enough, if you will. Like they're not as perfect as you or they're not aligned with you. You might word it different ways. But the reality is that whoever you have married or that you've been spending your life with or want to continue to spend your life with or in a future relationship, the bottom line is, is that they are different than you and they're going to show up in different ways in life when you meet someone you meet them as they are and when you fall in love with someone we tend to fall in love with them as they are and then somewhere down the road we decide that they're letting us down by being who they always were and that's our ego that's us thinking you know i'm trying to elevate myself and this person isn't elevating with me or grow i'm trying to grow and evolve this person isn't growing and evolving with me now if that alone is a problem that is creating a desire to leave the relationship, then that's the way it is. I'm not knocking that. But recognize your role in that, that this person hasn't changed. They are who they've always been. It might be you that's changing. And that's okay. You might discover that this person isn't for you anymore. But arguing with them and trying to correct them and criticizing them or becoming resentful because they're not following your lead forward in life, That's ego. That's your ego getting in the way. That's you no longer saying, I love you for who you are. That's you saying, I need you to change so that I can value you more. All right. And the last one I want to mention, which is um, one that I do believe shows up a lot in couples. And it's a tough one. And that's competition. Competition between the two of you on anything at all. You know, whether it's being right, being you know, the, the boss of the house, being the better parent, being anything, like just needing to compete against each other, to measure against each other is ego. It's just plain old ego. And now you're living from a place of I'm better than you and you're not doing well enough. And that is not conducive to healing a marriage, maintaining a good marriage. It's just not good at all. 
And again, it kind of ties into the very first thing I said, which is the need or the desire to be right. You go into counseling to prove, here are all these things that I do that are so wonderful. Here are all the things that you do that are terrible. Competition. It's wanting to prove someone wrong. And that's ego. You want to fix your marriage? You need to go in with your heart. You need to go in and say, I, I know I have faults here. I know that, you know, I might not be showing up the way you need me to. All I can do is tell you what I need. And I can tell you that I love you, for example. I can tell you that it's important to me to save this marriage. And I can also tell you that I'm feeling extremely unfulfilled, unseen, unheard, whatever. Like, I just feel so lost here. I feel so alone. Those are, those are valid emotions. Share them. If the other person is not in their ego and they're able to be just as open, then they will be able to hear that and they will want to work towards, you know, a more mutual and loving and compassionate environment where you can both flourish and you can both share and you can both have your needs met and where you both accept that you are different people and you do have different needs and you have different ways of showing up and different ways of showing love and that all of that is okay because you accept that their love language is this and they accept that yours is that and that you dedicate time to fulfilling each other's needs and to showing up in their love language every now and then and all the things that make up and maintain a healthy relationship. But if you are at the end or you feel like you're at the end and you're like wanting to drag someone into marriage counseling to show them how important it is that they do what you need them to do and they only agree because they have to, you're probably not going to have that experience. And I would honestly recommend that instead of going to marriage counseling at that point, it might just be a lot better for you to go on your own to therapy, counseling or coaching to really understand yourself, understand your role, your part, what you want, where you want to go with this, what's right for you. And you might go through that experience and discover that, you know what, this marriage hasn't fulfilled me for years and I'm better off on my own anyway. And so is this other person because we're not loving each other the way we should anymore. Or you might discover that I think I know exactly how to fix this and how we can do it together. So there are so many things that you can do here, but mostly, you know, the only side of the fence that we can control is our own. The only thing that we can control is our own choices, our own words, our own thoughts, and our own behaviors. So start there. Start by looking at yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to fix yourself and, and put up with uh, bad behavior or an abusive marriage or anything that doesn't make you feel good. It just means that you have to ask yourself, what is it that I want? What is it that I need? And how can I give that to myself? What is the best way for me to give that to myself? Is it to ask this person to go into counseling with me? Or is it simply that I need to acknowledge that this is over, that this is never going to be what I need it to be? I don't know. Ask yourself. I want to tell you before I go that I do this work with my clients all the time. I've done a lot of work with uh, women who are contemplating leaving a marriage. And one of the first questions they ask me is, of course, is does marriage counseling work? But they also ask, you know, do I only work with people who are, who are actually splitting up? Not at all. I have worked with several clients who end up staying and end up continuing to work on it. 
I am not attached to the one outcome or the other. I'm attached to that you get in touch with what you need and that you learn the strategies to create that for yourself, how to ask for it in your relationship or how to heal yourself outside of the relationship so that you can move forward and perhaps one day have a healthy relationship again. I want you to be happy. That's my goal. And I want you to find the right way for you to do that and to not make choices out of fear, out of obligation, out of um, worry for what other people might say. I want you to make a decision from your heart and your soul for what is best for you and not from your ego. Your ego should not be involved in this decision. So I hope that this has been helpful, educational or whatever for you, that it has opened your eyes to something or maybe a couple of aha moments. I would really love to hear about them, um, whether it's in you know a review or five stars or something like that, or send me a message on Instagram or wherever you um, know me from. And uh, I also want you to know that I'm available for coaching. Um, I'm gonna attach a link to my coaching packages below. I have uh, a few slots that are open, so I absolutely have time to take on some new clients. And I'm really excited to work with you to get to that place of peace with whichever decision ends up happening. I want you to know that you're worthy of happiness beyond everything. Everybody is. Every person on this earth is entitled to and has a birthright to be happy and to live a happy and peaceful life, a loving life, a life where there's lots of love coming in and lots of love going out. That's not only achieved in a romantic relationship, by the way. There are so many ways to experience joy and happiness and love in life. And that's where I want to get you. If that ends up being to stay in this marriage and you guys find your way back to each other, wow, I would love that. But my journey is with you, okay? So get in touch with me. Let's book a time to chat. And let's see if we can get to that place and see where that takes you. I wish you all the happiness in the world. Thank you once again, as always, for allowing me to be part of your day, to be in your headsets, on your walk, on your drive, whatever, wherever you listen to me. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Have the most beautiful day.